it's, a, it's an honor for our family to be here. And if you did not already get one of these Grace Family Ministries brochures uh, during the Sunday school hour, just pop your hand up. I need a couple of volunteers, uh, the, the ladies, uh, over here. And so, of course, like Pastor Alzi said, we have a ministry display uh, as far as Grace Family Ministries. And so Tim has the, uh, the PowerPoint here. Let me just go ahead and, uh, how are we doing, Tim? We got, oh yeah, good deal. Hey, I'll walk over there too. We can do double, yeah. So anyway, so it certainly is a tremendous honor for our family to be here. We were, we were here, if you recall, uh, back in February as far as a mission Sunday. At the time, we were serving with Things to Come Mission. Uh, in the better part of the past five years, uh, we've had the tremendous honor and joy uh, after having served in four different local Grace churches all over the, the country, and hence our, our kids have been born uh, from Denver, Dayton, D.C., uh, to the Dells, and then pa- better part of the past five years, we were serving with Things to Come Mission as the U.S. Development Director, and so we've had the honor of traveling and doing ministry at churches, camps, and conferences in 24 different states, uh, in six different countries, and that's besides 10 other states, and traveling en route or stepping foot in, these types of things. And so the Lord has opened our eyes to the state of church and family life, uh, and it's, you know, the onus is upon us. Uh, once again, when the Lord opens your eyes to you know, a need, what are you going to do about it? And so in the providence of God, uh, the Lord has opened the door uh, for us to shift gears in ministry. Uh, because this, the heart of it is this, is that if churches and families aren't healthy and strong, what, where are we going to get the next generation of missionaries and pastors and godly men and women as far as ministry leaders from? Because uh, the health and vitality of the local church is reflective of what's going on in biblical marriage and family life. There absolutely must need, there absolutely must be a counterculturally radical, intentional, grassroots initiative, uh, you know, as far as the church equipping the home to deliberately pass the truth on to the next generation as church and family co-champion our progeny to the praise of God's glory. And so go ahead and, uh, go ahead and hit the next slide, and you see, go ahead and hit the next one there. Uh, and so our mission in Grace Family Ministries is advancing the cause of Christ to the ends of the earth, beginning right at home. And we really have three advancing uh, initiatives. First off, you see it right in the, the center of your brochure here, as far as magnifying God's glory and grace through revitalized church and family life. As far as the, at the forefront of our hearts, our minds, and our lives, as far as church and family, must be a passion, zeal, heart, and fire for the majesty of God's glory and grace. And therefore, number two, as far as strengthening church and family, like I said, to co-champion the next generation, but also mobilizing church and family to engage culture with the salt and light moral back pressure of the Christian worldview in general, because Scripture is sufficient. Scripture speaks to everything in life. And and so as a result of building a comprehensive biblical Christian worldview, God calls us as his people to raise the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ in every arena. And, and that includes, as far as, the, like I said, the Christian worldview in general, but the gospel in particular. And so we cover your prayers for this initiative and so a variety of things. As far as how are we going to do that? Go ahead and hit the, uh, the next one as far as you see the how uh, there. If you open as he gets to that, go ahead and open your brochure Go into the, uh, the serving church and family slide there, Tim. Go and open your brochure. There's a variety of things. A lot of these things, you see those seven bullets. Uh, we've, been, we've already been doing a lot of these. 
Uh, go ahead and hit the next one and then the right, this one right here. So go ahead and bring all of those up. We've already been doing a lot of these. And it's just that a lot of these weren't explicitly in TCM's purview and everything. But the heart of it is this, is that uh, what we have been doing, we're going to continue doing and with greater freedom and flexibility. And so it's a, a still as a being a board member of TCM and everything, just tremendous rapport and we're very thankful. Uh, and so what we, st what we normally do when a missionary leaves the field is that we receive, the home office receives gifts and donations, financial support for a missionary up to three months. And so that's the situation with our family through January 31st. And so uh, we're looking at, uh, as far as our home church in Indianapolis, is looking at the, you know, the, the the realistic possibility as far as our support being funneled through uh, Grace Point Church. And so if you're not on our mailing list, uh, if you were on our TCM mailing list, well, you're still on our mailing list and everything. But if you're, if you're perhaps new to Bible Fellowship, we encourage you to put pen to paper right over here in the, the side room. Uh, and we'll keep you updated on details because we anticipate them, uh, those details being finalized within the next week or so. And so our goal is to send out updated information via like a Christmas postcard uh, type of thing and then keep you up to date and everything. And of course, we have a, we have a website, gracefamilyministries.org. Uh, you know, social media and everything. We got a host of things as far as that are on our hearts and our minds, and we've done it. We've already written a whole lot of stuff. Uh, when I finished up my master's thesis at Grace Christian University in the spring of 2020, I wrote it on the, what was called the centrality of the family to the missio dei. That's Latin for the mission of God. In other words, biblical marriage and family life is not peripheral, it's not secondary, it's not tertiary, but is central to advancing the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so uh, we covet your prayers indeed. And so go ahead and hit the next one there, Tim. Uh, where do we go from here? So a variety of things. Go ahead and bring all those up uh, as far as, like I said, as far as our website, social media, and these types of things. And so you see the picture there. Uh, I've been to Mount Vernon, and I've seen this actual painting, massive painting on the wall. And, of course, it was this time of year that George Washington famously bowed the knee to Almighty God in prayer, beseeching his mercy, his grace, his aid and help. Just as even Ben Franklin, not exactly the most conservative of God-fearing Christian men, but once again, men like him and others, they were not antagonistic to the Christian worldview. Franklin famously said, basically he said that he referenced Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, who build it? Any Tom, Dick, or Harry can moan, groan, gripe, and complain and look around, look around as far as see the, what's wrong with the world. But dear ones, it takes wisdom, vision, and courage to be a catalyst for positive change and initiate decisive action. And so we pray that you would uphold our family in prayer and support as together, as a body of Christ initiative, as we advance the cause of Christ to the ends of the earth, beginning right at home. And so, uh, honored to be here. We, I'm sure you have plenty of questions. Write them down. You can talk with my wife or uh, myself or pretty much any one of our kids uh, and everything. But let's get in the Word of God, shall we? Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And as you open to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, listen to this. Few things are more tragic than being bored with Christmas and taking it in stride. David Mathis writes that you were made for Christmas in his Advent devotional book, 
the Christmas we didn't expect. Further, he explains that it's spirit and magic, that alluring sense of supernatural goodness are not just for children, for kids, but even for grown-ups, especially for grown-ups. God forbid that we ever get used to Christmas. When we find ourselves just going through the motions in these precious days leading up to the great feast, as he describes it, he says, we do well to ask ourselves if the real treasure has been hidden from our eyes. Our world increasingly makes every effort it can to cover over the real essence of Christmas. And he says this, that God himself arrives not only to save us from sin and death, but to rescue us to himself. Like that Jeremiah 9 text. The glory, or as Paul says, by divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, to know God and the power of his resurrection and live to the praise of his glory. Matthew goes on, he says, Jesus himself is the great joy that makes all the attendant joys of our salvation so great. He is not just God with us here to save us, but he himself is our greatest joy, the preeminent treasure, who will satisfy our human souls forever, like only the divine human Christ can. But Christmas doesn't terminate on our enjoyments. In other words, Christmas doesn't end being centered on me, myself, and I. But we might say, but But pastor, that's my favorite subject. Well, it's mine too. And just as Paul said in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? God's grace that saves us for time and eternity, then and there, is also the same grace that we need to rescue, for him to rescue us from us day by day. And there's nobody that talks to us more than you and I do. So what kind of gospel are we preaching to ourselves day by day? So Matthew, he says, the joy he came to bring in his own person as the God-man is the joy that aligns with and fulfills the great purpose of all creation. Christmas brings the electricity of joy that runs along the grid of all reality. I love that. I'll say it again. Christmas brings the electricity of joy that runs along the grid of all reality. Not only does God satisfy the human soul, but he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our joy serves his glory. The child of Christmas is more than Lord. He is even more than Savior. He is our great treasure. And in our eternal enjoyment of him is his glory and the end for which God created the world. Christmas is not finally about his birth for our salvation, but our existence for his glory. You were made for the great joy of Christmas, dear ones, and this points us directly to the all-glorious reality of the God who speaks. In Hebrews chapter 1, as we endeavor to rejoice in the glory, awe, and wonder of Christmas, the Word of God says this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud from mine from the New King James Version of the Bible. Here the Word of God says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's. 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance a more obtained a more excellent name than they. First off, we see in verse 1 that God spoke in time past. You see, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. And first off, it begins, look at the first word of the first chapter, of the first verse of this book. And of course, theologically, we understand that the writer to the Hebrews was writing by divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. And we understand the Bible dispensationally and differences between prophecy and mystery and Israel and the body of Christ and these things. And in this book, it's obviously written to Hebrews. In other words, Jewish kingdom saints of the first century. And this will be especially applicable subsequent to the pre-tribulational rapture of the church where every member of the church, the body of Christ in this age of grace will be caught up in the secret coming of Christ. And so this book is unpacking the fullness of the penal substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly applicable to Jewish kingdom saints in that day and age, but at the heart and soul of the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God as far as when the prophecy or mystery program is the Lord Jesus Christ, dear ones. So oftentimes, mid-ex dispensationalists can forget that. That, yes, we understand how to rightly divide the word of truth, but right division is not our God, nor is it our Savior, nor is it the thing that we worship. Every one of us are susceptible to that in some way, shape, or form, dear ones. And may we take heed to ourselves, just as Apostle Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sometimes life hurts bad. But the Lord is good and he's greatly to be praised, dear ones. And so you see right here in the first verse of Hebrews, he says, God, he is the God who is Turn over to Psalm 90 in verse 2. Keep a finger here. What we see here in Psalm 90 gives us insight into what the Lord spoke to Moses. Did you hear the old, about the old lady? <clears throat> uh, after they were studying the life of Moses for some time at their church, and she was just so blessed and everything, she says, I feel like I know Moses so well, he doesn't look like Charlton Heston anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, some of you, may, that might be too much of a blast from the past for some of you, but, but anyway, uh, the shoe fits, right? When the Lord was speaking from the burning bush, and he told Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground on which you stand is holy. And dear ones, we live corum Deo. It's a Latin term that means before the face of God. And so every one of us, we are to invest the time, talent, and treasure of our lives in eternity because we will give an account of our lives before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. That's something that 
must be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds, dear ones, that we live Coram Deo. And so the Lord said, take off your shoes. And what did the Lord tell Moses when he asked, hey, when I go to Egypt? It was kind of like, you know, here am I. Send Aaron. <laughs> Send somebody else. And he said, who made man's mouth? He said, when I go. Okay, Lord. When I go, what is your name? What should I tell him? What did the Lord say? I am that I am. In other words, he's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's the eternally self-existing God who is the great I am. Look at Psalm 90 in verse 2. Before the, and, and actually, this is the prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, look at this, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Look at right at the end of verse 2. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is the God who is. And he is the God who has spoken. And so we see in our text, he spoke at various times and in various ways. He also is the God who decreed. When God does stuff, there is a deliberate plan and purpose. He's not shooting from the hip, as it were. He's not fly by the seat of his pants and it's like, or, or like uh, Harrison Ford said famously in the, the first Indiana Jones movie. Do you remember this? Uh, you know, one point, I think it was John Reese davies you know, playing, Sol- uh, playing the character Salik, uh, you know, there in Cairo. And they're, they're running around all just, you know, classic Indiana Jones uh, antics and everything. Uh, this pop culture adventure and everything. But, but he said, what do we do next? Where, where do we go? And Indiana Jones, he says... I don't know, I'm making this up as I go. Is that the way our God does things? Absolutely not, dear ones. He reigns in majesty supreme, and in in his sovereignty, he ordains the ends, he ordains the means, dear ones. The warp and woof of scripture bears witness to this, and you see this right here. He says, at various times and in various ways, God spoke in time past to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. David is, is included in that by the prophets. And so when the ancient Hebrew prophets, when they came to town, they, they weren't, you know, like some of these preachers, you know, got their, their, their just uh, million-dollar smile on the front of a dust jacket of a book and everything. It's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm, yeah. It, it, you are at the center of the universe. You are awesome. Jesus, you're so, you're so wonderful Jesus came to give you your best life right now because it's all about you and everything it's like listen when the ancient Hebrew prophets came to town is that the kind of message that they were bringing absolutely not and I pray not just because we're on the cusp of New Year's but it's prime time opportunity I pray but why wait for New Year's I pray that in the new year you and I both are industrious, diligent, and disciplined day by day to read the entirety of the Word of God. One of the things that we have on our table is called a one-year Bible. And once again, all the resources are free. And obviously, not everything that is on the, on the table, we you know, endorse everything in, our, you know, in, the, in the books and resources and everything. But once again, the beauty of the body of Christ is that we do not need to be afraid of one another. We need each other, dear ones. And the the issue is this, is that when the ancient Hebrew prophets came to town, 
they were, they were coming with resolute biblical conviction. And so listen, as far as the one-year Bible is concerned, if we are not deliberate in reading the entirety of Scripture, I'm not, I'm not talking just merely Romans to Philemon for crying out loud. All right, I'm talking about Genesis through Revelation. I guarantee it. There will be massive portions of Scripture that you and I will seldom, if ever, read. When the prophets came to town, and you'll read it. When they came to town, oh, I mean, they, they are, they're not like a Dale Carnegie type of like, hey, how to win friends and influence people type of thing. They're, they, they, they're standing before whom the God they serve, and this is the message that the Lord gave them, and they're laying the smack down something fierce, people. All right? And so watch this. And so when the Lord did this in verse 1, he spoke in various times and in various ways and time passed to the fathers by the prophets. He's the God who is, he's the God who decreed, he's the God who prophesied. But look at this. The writer to the Hebrews, he says in verse 2, he says, not only is the God who spoke in times past, but look, he says, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Take a Pauline phrase from Galatians 4, 4. He's the God who spoke in times past, but he's the God who spoke in the fullness of times. And mind you, here when he speaks of when the, the writer to the Hebrews, he says the last days. This is the same last days that Joel and Peter were emphasizing in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. As far as the last days of the Jewish kingdom program, there once. It's not talking about the last days of the age of grace. And once again, a case in point example of understanding the Bible dispensationally. But the heart of it is this, is that the written word of God that the Lord has given to us, aren't you grateful that you have the word of God in your own language sitting on your lap? And I, and I, and I, and I hope and pray you do have the word of God sitting on your lap. Yes, use your digital device and everything, but let's face it, there's too many distractions on there, and you can't give that thing to your grandkids. You can give your handwritten, note-filled Bible to your grandkids and your great-grandkids. But you start thinking multi-generationally. How can I be deliberate at passing the truth on to the next generation, dear ones? So when we have the Word of God in our own language sitting on our lap, and once again, it's a, it's a Case in point example, a testimony of the mighty hand of God at work in the glove of history as he providentially raised up the likes of Johann Gutenberg and John Wycliffe and Tyndale and Luther, Calvin, Zwingli and Knox and so many others in the English Puritans to champion the light that they had received and understood as they were coming out of immense spiritual darkness and medieval Christendom. And it was a recovery of Pauline doctrine, and we are their heirs and spiritual beneficiaries, dear ones. And so the heart of it is this, I bring all that up, because when we have the written word of God before us, it should remind us of what the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry of the nation of Israel, what he, when he was taking some of the religious leaders to task, he says, he says, search the scriptures. He says, for in them you have life. He says, but you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. He says, the scriptures are they which testify of who? You and I? How wonderful we are? Oh, no, the Lord doesn't sugarcoat things one iota. 
as far as the depravity of man's heart. No, the Lord Jesus, he says, they, they are they which testify of me. The written word points to the living word, dear ones. The Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, one of the fascinating things about Christmas time is, as we're turning over to Isaiah chapter 9, is that this time of year, it is not uncommon for Handel's Messiah to, you know, that famous oratorio, you know, several hundred years old. There's a reason why music like that sticks around for uh, longer than just a one-hit wonder season on K-Love type of thing, all right? Uh, just saying. But it was actually a guy by the name of Charles Jennings that wrote it. I never knew that. Charles Jennings was the guy who was living in the 18th century in England. He was looking around, kind of like you and I do, looking around, and he was distressed because he saw ungodly philosophy wreaking havoc upon people's lives in churches in the continent of Europe, and it was making inroads in England and everything. Even he had a, a brother that, that was susceptible to these things, and he fell prey to th these ideas, and even was in a, in a dark place, and even took his own life. And so Charles Jennings, he looks around, he's like, why doesn't somebody do something? So what he did is he wrote a song, a massive song, and in contrast to the, you know, the, the woke progressive liberals of our day, you know, these neo-Marxists who say, oh, no, 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 this is not a, 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 a religious piece. This is a cultural piece. Well, why is everything from Scripture then? And so what he did is then he got, got in touch with his friend, George Friedrich Handel, who wrote the music, what we know as Handel's Messiah. And so we see in Messiah, Isaiah 9, verses six and seven, we see much of the, the text of Messiah is right from the prophet Isaiah. And so as we come to Holy Scripture, always remember and never forget, that's one of my dadisms. You familiar with those? You know, dadisms, things that you, know, that you say and everything. My, my kids have a whole list. They have a couple different lists and everything. But anyway. Always remember, never forget, that when we come to Holy Scripture, we're not coming to a situation that transpired in a galaxy far away. Long ago, in Middle Earth, Narnia, that type of thing. Listen, what does the first verse of the Bible say? It doesn't, does it say once upon a time? Does it end with, in the, and they lived happily ever after? No. Due to secularization, we're prone to bifurcate reality into sacred and secular and these types of things and just, oh, you got the Jesus box over here and take that thing out and everything. We'll pet it and enjoy that and feed it and everything. And, you know, Sunday morning, check that box and everything and we go about the rest of our life. That's not biblical Christianity, dear ones. And so I bring that up because of secularization. I mean, regardless of where we live, because of, of a pagan and educational institution and pop culture, uh, you know, and Hollywood and the news media and these types of things, separation, so-called a church and state, and everything, we're, it affects all of us. It wreaks havoc on our lives. But Scripture, by way of contrast, transpired in real time and space. 
Isaiah, for example, was an 8th century court prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's writing by divine inspiration, prophesying by divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit here. This is real stuff. Enjoy those stories. That's not real. This is real. And look at in verse 6, he says, unto us a child is born. Of course, he's speaking as a Hebrew prophet. And we understand that the, the heart of God was to reach the nations through Israel. For unto us a child is born. And if you turn over to Isaiah 7, verse 14, look across the page. Isaiah 7, 14 is speaking of a virgin birth. And this, that same ver- verse, Isaiah 7, 14, is referenced in Matthew chapter 1 when the Lord, through the angel, revealed himself and the plan to Joseph. And unto us a child is born, not just any baby. There was no human father, and therefore there was no sin nature. And know that which should speak to us, guys, is our responsibility before God to lead spiritually as a man, husband, father, grandfather, you name it. Because it's our responsibility to ensure that generations of our progeny are tethered to the deck of truth, bolted to the deck of truth by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And look what it says, unto us a son is given. And when we look at the baby in Bethlehem, we're looking at the pre, we're looking at as someone that did not just leap into existence nine months prior. Christ pre-existed Christmas as the second member of the triune Godhead. And look what it says, and, the, and, and his name will be called. We, we just sang a hymn about the beautiful name. And listen, one of the things I would encourage you to do, and if you're not familiar with this, all you have to do is talk with my daughter Gracie, 10 years old. Build into your prayer life a a thorough understanding of the various names of God we see in Scripture. And just invoke those names and praise to God in prayer. Include, start here. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Basically, that means possessor of eternity. Whoa. So when we see Christ in the gospel records in the book of John, particularly when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. What do you think he's talking about? He's the possessor of time and eternity. And he spoke it all into existence as far as the, as far as the, the world is concerned as the creator. And he says this. He's the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it. Look at the end of the verse. He says, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Does anybody feel like we should sing the hallelujah chorus right now? Hallelujah. Amen, right? You ever see one of those flash mobs in a shopping mall? You can look it up on YouTube type of thing. Oh, it's it's good stuff. It does a a load of good. This time is the time of the year. Look at Hebrews 1. He's the God who spoke in times past. He's the God who spoke in the fullness of time. But go, let's go on and at the end of verse 2. He says, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who being the, and basically when, when it speaks, it's, we see the same thing in Colossians chapter 1. We see that, that Christ, he's the heir of all things. You know what that means? 
in, in, in our understanding, oh, you know, he's the, uh, you know, he's the lone beneficiary of his Uncle Vanderbuck's estate. You get that? Vanderbuck's. Well, that's like kind of a, uh, an ethnic joke because we're a multi-ethnic family. My wife is 100% Dutch. Maiden name is De Ryder. So anybody that you ever meet that has a uh, prefix on their last name that says De Ryder, Vander, Ten, Hoog, or the, the suffix is like Sma, that type of thing, uh, you know, they're Dutch. And if you're not Dutch, you're just not much is the way it goes. Uh, you know, so it's like, wow, you know. Uh, but, you know, the, the joke is that if you have an, a rich uncle named, you know, Uncle Vanderbucks, you get the point. And so the, the situation in our mindset is like if you're the lone heir to a rich uncle, you get it all. But that's not quite the same situation we're dealing with here. Because the Lord is not some physical progeny. He's the second member of the, the, the triune eternal Godhead. And just as our Savior prayed in shadow of the cross in John chapter 17, he says, Father, glorify yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And just like he told the religious leaders, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they were saying, what are you talking about, bub? You're Joseph's kid from over here in, in Nazareth. Who do you think you are? I think he's some chump, you know, punk kid, you know, nearby. And it's like, and what did the Lord Jesus say? He says, no, before Abraham was, I am. And what they do? They're going to pick up rocks and kill the guy. Because the one who spoke galaxies into existence just declared, heralded his majesty before them. And we see that's what the, what's going on here. Because Christ is God the Son. He owns it all. And as the firstborn of all creation, it, it all belongs to him. As Romans 11.36 says, it is of him, through him, and for him to whom he glory forever. Amen. And look what it says in verse 3. He says, who being the brightness of his glory. In other words, the blazing center of the glory of God is vested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If more mid-acts dispensationalists understood that by the grace of God, we'd be going somewhere as the body of Christ. But regardless of what other people are doing or not doing, may that never prohibit and hold us back from what God has called you and I to do on the grassroots level. And as co-church and family, co-champion of the next generation, look at it going on in the verse. He says, and the express image of his person. If we want to understand who God is, you look at Christ. As Paul says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know what I like doing? I like putting my hands up. Sometimes, in praise to the Lord, hallelujah. Ah. Uh, I like putting my hands up in, to illustrate the theanthropic nature of Christ. Because just as the, the ancient historic creeds, confessions of the Christian faith would affirm that Christ is very God and very man. Basically 100% God and 100% a true God, true man. Basically, anytime we're going to illustrate eternal realities of the Godhead with finite Stuff, even hands, it's going to fall short, but that's all we got. And so you just take this with a grain of salt. You can do it with me, especially boys and girls, all right? I love it. I would, I would suggest 
they, you have the kids in the service every week. It's the way I grew up. Lori grew up. Anyway, that gets into a whole family ministry seminar and everything. And just as far as tools and practical, how do I get my kid ready for church? Anyway, I got work to do as far as writing stuff. But we could always come back, though, too. But anyway, that's a little bit of rabbit trail, but not necessarily. But anyway, put your hands up like this. All right? The Bible says that Jesus is 100% God and 100%. And put your hands together. Just boom. All right? And one of the most significant questions that you could ever ask anybody is, hey, what is your understanding of who Jesus Christ is? Especially if you're on a job site and somebody just whapped their thumb. Hey, you brought it up. You got the right name. You're just using it wrong. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? You know? Okay. And so it's like, hey, what is your understanding of who Jesus Christ is? What? What are you talking about? Well, you're just talking about Jesus. And so break the ice. I mean, walk into a store at Christmas time. You got Christmas music going. I mean, just give somebody a gospel. Tree. Here's some Christmas spirit for you. Boom. Encourage you in your spiritual life in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I, uh, oftentimes it's amazing what comes up. I, one uh, teller, one cashier at a gas station in Ohio last month, you know, he said, Jesus Christ is a, does not affect me. He was uh, basically Native American ethnicity, kind of, you know, this type of pagan spiritual background and everything. So it, when you do stuff like that, it stirs your heart. And it electrifies your spiritual life. But look at, uh, in our text here in verse 3. He goes on, he says, And the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. And Colossians says, In him all things consist. And it's fascinating, as far as, especially if you've ever seen some of these science videos, just as far as like, you know, that talk about laminin or the cell adhesion molecule and these types of like, you know, it's like, hey, that's really cool. Basically, the uh, microscopic stuff that's in the shape of a cross or you, pay, you, you point the Hubble Space Telescope at the, the center of a, of a black hole and it shows up in the shape of a cross. That's pretty cool stuff. But, you know, whether or not that stuff was even there, we don't, we don't need that because we got the Word of God. Right? But it's just pretty cool when we see that type of stuff, though. All right? He holds everything together. And even as the Lord revealed to Belshazzar in the book of Daniel, he holds your breath in his hand. And yes, our knees should knock just like his did as we live Coram Deo. And look what it says at the end of verse 3. It says, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, just as the psalmist David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why could David say that? He, because he said next, he says, for you are with me. But that, that song that we just sang at the cross, written originally by Isaac Watts, and the original wording says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? That's right from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 gives us insight into what was going through our Savior's mind when he was hanging on the cross of Calvary. Because verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is one of the several statements of our Savior while he was hanging on the cross. And he was betrayed, he was denied, and he was, most importantly, he was forsaken by the Father. 
and when God the Father exploded undiluted fury, wrath, and judgment upon the Son, when He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God imputed to our account by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why people love Jesus Christ. Amen? And look what it says in verse 4. It says, having become so much, and he was buried, he rose again, ascended back to the Father, he's seated there at the right hand, and he's coming again one day. And look at this, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Look down in verse 6, just want to call your attention to this, because I pray that you're sick and tired of well-meaning people minimizing the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's mainstream evangelicals, some of which in recent years have denied it, or even conservative grace believers who just say, oh, you know, it's, it, it's Christ's humiliation. Yes, we understand. We serve a risen Savior. He's exalted the right hand of the Father. But when you look at this, dear ones, may we never minimize the all-glorious reality of who Christ is, even when he was here on earth. Because look at verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, God the Son, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. In that situation... When they are heralding our Savior's birth, how do you think that they're uh, announcing that news? Hey, uh, shepherds, you guys, blue-collar truck workers over there, uh, unto you is born this day in the city. You know what? I don't care whether or not somebody even thinks of whether or not they were singing. That's just, that's just rabbit trails. It's just not helpful for anyone, especially passing the truth on to the next generation. If you got news like that, I guarantee you, you're alert, alive, awake, and enthusiastic, and you're at least raising your voice. Amen? All right? You read the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of shouting and praising and singing, and yes, even hand-raising to the Lord God Almighty. But look over to Hebrews chapter 12 as we land the plane here. Hebrews chapter 12. God speaks. God spoke in time past. He speaks, spoke in the fullness of time, and taking another Pauline phrase, he speaks in the redemption of time. Because our spiritual act of worship is to present our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. He owns us. It's not about what we want to do with our lives. The stewardship responsibility that God has placed on our lives is such that he owns us, and he has redeemed us. And it is not what we want to do, it's, Lord, what do you want to do in and through my life? And so look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, speaking, hearkening back to chapter 11, as far as these, these spiritual heirs, these, our predecessors, and every one of us, whether it's in biblical and church history, American history, in our church, in our family history, dear ones, we're heirs to the past and ancestors to the future. And look at, he says, at the end of verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and let us run and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And listen, there's nothing like gathering for worship any given Sunday that sets the Holy Spirit free to mess with our hearts and our minds and stuff 
that needs to be set right because it's wrong. That's what Scripture does. And therefore, if we're going to run with endurance the race that is set before us, or as Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, he's the progenitor and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me leave you with this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said many years ago, he described that Christ's incarnation is the marvel of mortals. He says, let your soul lose itself in wonder. For wonder is in this way a very practical emotion. Holy wonder will lead you to grateful worship. Being amazed at what God has done, you will pour out your soul with astonishment at the foot of the golden throne in the grateful and adoring song. Blessing and honor and glory and majesty and power and dominion and might be unto him who sits on the throne and does these great wonders to me. And he says, what is there left after one has seen the Savior? He says, the nine wonders of the world. Why? You may put them all into a nutshell. Machinery and modern art can excel them all. But this one wonder, speaking of the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not the wonder of earth only, but of heaven and earth and of even hell itself. It's not the wonder of old time, but the wonder of all time and the wonder of eternity. They would see human wonders a few times at least cease to be astonished. The noblest pile that architect ever raised at last fails to impress the onlooker. But not so this marvelous temple of incarnate deity. I love that. The more we look at it, the more we are astonished. The more we become accustomed to it. The more have we a sense of surpassing splendor and love and grace. There is more of God's glory and majesty to be seen in the manger and the cross than in the sparkling stars above, the rolling deep below, the towering mountain, the teeming valleys, the abodes of life or the abyss of death. Let us then give ourselves up to holy wonder, such as will produce gratitude, worship, love, confidence, as we think of that great mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. This Christmas, put words into action, understanding that the God who speaks in time past, in the fullness of time, and through the redemption of time, and through the testimony of our lives, give out gospel tracts, give redemptive gifts, and sing Christmas carols. Be deliberate at advancing the cause of Christ to the ends of the earth, beginning right where you and I live. Lord God, Heavenly Father, how grateful we are this day that you have brought us here for worship, for you are worthy thereof, O God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do something awesome and mighty through the ministry of St. Louis Bible Fellowship. And, Lord, thank you for the beauty and the majesty of the body of Christ, that our lives would indeed be all that you've called them to be for such a time as this. Hallelujah. In Christ Jesus. Thank you, Brother Timothy. Isn't it excited when we can get excited about the things of God and the calling that he's placed on our lives? Aren't you glad that we're called to serve him, to be a witness on his behalf? What a mighty God we serve. If you do not know that God this morning, we want to give you that opportunity. You don't have to stand. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to do anything but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Take it personally that he did that 
on your behalf. And if you've never done it, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, let me encourage you to do that. You will know the joy of the Lord. You will know that heaven awaits. And the Holy Spirit will just make you that new creation that you become the moment you trust Christ. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. Thank you, Brother Timothy. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, family. Uh, there's a table set up out here, and if you'd like to learn more about their ministry, they're going to be over there, and uh, we invite you to come and, and talk to them about that, that ministry. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the message that we heard. We thank you for your word. Father, just ignite that type of fire in all of our grace pastors, not just our grace pastors, but in every man that, that stands in the pulpit. Father, just pray that you will take charge and that this type of message will just flame across this country. And Father, once again, we pray for Timothy, pray for Lori, pray for his precious family. Father, use them in a mighty way. Pray for our church. And Father, pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that they will not leave this building until they understand what it is they must do in order to be made that new creation. And Father, may we be faithful to share it with them. And we pray all these things in Christ's name and for his sake.